Well, we want to welcome all of you who are joining us online and also those of you who are meeting together in person uh, in one of our worship gatherings at our various campuses. Even though um, we've been meeting in person uh, for over two months outdoors, it's been over six months since we've had indoor, in-person worship services, and it is so good to have the opportunity uh, again like this, even though with all the COVID protocols we need to follow uh, to keep everyone safe, our worship experience will definitely feel different from, we, from what we experienced before the pandemic hit. My prayer is, is that we would be patient and understanding with one another during this time, even as God is patient with us, that we would remain unified in Christ and the mission that he's called us to as a church. And that regardless of how we feel uh, about the COVID restrictions and the protocols, that our love and concern for the health and the safety of others would be reason enough uh, to make the sacrifices we're being called upon uh, to make. And that in all things, in all of our interactions, we would reflect the love and the spirit of Jesus Christ. Again, thank you for bearing with us as, as we seek to make God-honoring decisions. Um, thank you for your encouragement, for continuing to support our mission through your giving uh, of your time and also of your money. Would you please stand with me now as we dedicate our time in God's word to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise and worship you for being the rock upon which we can stand during these uncertain days. Thank you for Jesus, the living word, and for the Bible, the, the written word. We ask, Lord, that you would now help us to focus on your word that you would soften our hearts, you'd give us the courage to respond to whatever we hear you say to us and what you call us to do. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. You know, over the years, something I've noticed is that the higher your expectations are of something or someone, the greater the likelihood that you're going to be disappointed. If you want to have a miserable vacation, then go into it expecting everything to go perfectly, every meal to be spectacular, every tourist site to take your breath away, and everyone with you to sing your praises for planning the best vacation ever. If you want to have a miserable marriage, go into it expecting your partner to accept you as you are to fulfill all of your desires and to meet all of your needs while being low maintenance themselves and expecting little from you in return. If you want to have a miserable work life, well then go into it expecting everyone to be really nice and accepting and helpful and uh, to have a boss who is gracious and, and gives you a life giving performance reviews and promises you a promotion within six months. Now, in the same way that our expectations can lead to disappointment in others, so our expectation can lead to disappointment with God. Have you ever wondered why God seems so silent 
we're so slow in responding to the glaring needs in the world. Why doesn't he show up and prove to a group of skeptics, for example, that he is real and that he's all powerful by miraculously healing their atheist friend who has an incurable illness? Have you ever found yourself whispering or perhaps even shouting, Lord, if your kingdom is here, why does it seem like the enemy is winning? Where are you in all of this? Why aren't you showing the world that you and your eternal kingdom are greater and more powerful than Satan and his earthly kingdom? Well, I believe that this is the issue that Jesus' disciples were, were struggling with. They really wanted to believe Jesus was the Messiah, the one who would deliver them from Roman oppression, the king who would set up a new kingdom. But Jesus wasn't following the script that they had in mind. Based on their study of the Old Testament prophecies, they believed the Messiah would be a charismatic, powerful leader who in a relatively short period of time would flex his supernatural muscles and he'd rally the troops and defeat their Roman oppressors and usher in uh, his new kingdom uh, filled with freedom and prosperity. And they were expecting Jesus to make it happen now. Those were their expectations. And yet that's not the way that it played out. Instead, Jesus, uh, instead of Jesus talking about what he would do to those who opposed him, he started talking about what they would do to him, including being arrested and taking his life. None of this was making any sense to his disciples. And so here in, in, in Matthew 13, Jesus attempts to bring clarity by describing for them through a number of parables what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like. Now last week, Ashwin focused on the parable of the wheat and the weeds. A farmer sows good wheat in his field, but sometime later in the middle of the night, an enemy of the farmer plants weeds among the wheat attempting to destroy the harvest. Now, realizing the seriousness of the situation, the farmer's servants ask him, do you want us to pull out and dispose of the weeds? And to their surprise, the farmer says, no, just leave the weeds alone until harvest time. At that time, I'll ensure the weeds are dealt with. Now, as I said a moment ago, the disciples they were asking questions like, Jesus, if your kingdom is here, why does evil still abound? Why aren't you dealing with the abuse that we're suffering at the hands of the Romans? Well, I believe that Jesus used this parable to essentially say this in response to those questions. In the same way that the weeds will be separated from the wheat in this parable, that they will be dealt with at harvest time. A day is coming when the children of light will be separated from the children of darkness, when evil will be destroyed and evildoers will be judged and will pay for their crimes against God and against others. But that time is not now. Jesus says, yes, my kingdom is here. 
And life by life, step by step, my will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. But what you want me to do now, what you expect the kingdom to look like in all of its majesty and fullness and greatness won't be reality until the end of the age, until the harvest. Until then, my kingdom is going to grow and function differently than you are expecting. I'm going to wipe out the weeds or the ungodly. I'm going to be, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm going to be patient and I'm going to extend grace to them. And as my followers, I'm asking you to do the same. I'm asking you to be patient and to extend grace, even as I extend grace to you. Second Peter chapter three, verse eight says this, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, this passage tells us why God is patient with the ungodly, why his kingdom hasn't come in its fullness yet, because God so loves the world that he does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Reminds us that we were all weeds once. We were spiritually lost and far from God once. And we are now part of his eternal kingdom only because of his grace and because he is patient with us. And we demonstrate that we are part of his spiritual family when we are loving and gracious and patient with those who are far from God and let them know what Jesus means to us. Which brings us to the next parable, the parable of the mustard seed in which Jesus continues to explain to his disciples how his kingdom is different from their understanding of the kingdom. Look at verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants, becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Now in Jesus' day, it was common for the smallest of things to be compared to a mustard seed because a mustard seed was seen as the smallest of seeds. And the point that Jesus made to his disciples through this parable was simply this. Even though right now you may feel the kingdom of God is insignificant and small like a mustard seed, one day the kingdom's influence and size will grow into a large tree-like bush in which birds can rest and build nests. In the words of Psalm 72, 8, one day the king of kings shall have dominion. He shall reign from sea to sea. 
However, says Jesus, between now and when I return again, my kingdom is not going to come the way that you're thinking. It's not going to come through human power and human might, but it's going to come through people who have humble hearts and lives, hearts that are fully surrendered and devoted to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, I'm wondering if you've ever noticed in the scripture that God often does things opposite to the way we would do them. For example, let's say that you're starting a, a new venture or a new movement of some sort. Your advisors will tell you that if you want your movement to have credibility, it's absolutely critical that you recruit the powerful, the influential, the popular to be on your team. That's the way we tend to think. And yet time and time again, we see the Lord choosing the small and insignificant, the weak and the unspectacular to accomplish great things. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble faith, birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. In Judges 6, we read of a time when the Israelites were being oppressed by the Midianites and the Amalekites. And after many years of this, the Israelites cried to the Lord for help. And God called Gideon to deliver them. And in Judges chapter 6, verse 15, we read that Gideon responded saying, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest among the clans and I'm the least in my family. Now, do you hear what Gideon is saying? He's saying, why are you asking me of all people? I'm just an average ordinary guy. I've got nothing to offer. And God essentially said, that's why you're the person for the job. Because I'm not looking necessarily for extraordinary people to do my will. No, I'm, I'm looking for ordinary people who, have, who are humble and desperate enough to trust and follow an extraordinary God. If you're feeling weak as a Christian at work or at school or in your community, even in your marriage or in your role as a parent, and your weakness is causing you to daily cry out to God for help, for wisdom and direction, then you're the kind of person that God wants to accomplish his purposes through. See, God resists proud, self-assured leaders who rely on themselves, on their own abilities, rather than on the Lord. But he extends grace and power to the humble. 
And this is the point that Jesus is making to his disciples. This is how God's kingdom works. Little becomes much when you place it in the master's hands. We even see this in the way that Jesus came to earth. I mean, would you, I mean, you would think that when God invaded our planet, that he would come with mighty signs and wonders. You would think that the skies uh, would be lit as far as one could see. You would think that he would have chosen to arrive in a large, well-known city and that major news networks would have been invited to announce his arrival. You would have thought he would have chosen to, to be raised by a prominent family surrounded by the most influential and popular leaders of the day to ensure he got the credibility and the following that he deserved. And yet he chose to come as a helpless baby, to be born in a grungy stable, an obscure little hamlet called Bethlehem. He chose to be raised by peasants. And when he began his ministry, he called a small group of ordinary largely unimpressive people to do life with him and to carry on the mission after he ascended to heaven. When he performed miracles, he often told people to not tell others about it. And near the end of his life, he was rejected by most people, totally misunderstood, and he died on a cross for crimes that he never committed. Not a very impressive resume and definitely not a storyline that any of us would want. At least not on Good Friday. But as we all know, that's not the end of the story. Sunday was a coming. The mustard seed that was planted when Jesus came to earth as the God-man, that mustard seed grew through him and then through his disciples. And even after his resurrection and ascension, that little seed of the kingdom has continued to grow into a great kingdom that is alive and well in most places of the world. Think about it. Kingdoms that humans established, like the Assyrian kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, the Persian kingdom, the Roman kingdom, have all ceased to exist but the kingdom of God, that little seed that Jesus planted 2,000 years ago has grown into a huge tree of impact and influence in our world today. Today, Christianity is the largest religious group in the world, making up a third or over 2.4 billion of the earth's population. Millions of people are committing their lives to Jesus Christ every year. Over 95% of the entire population of the world have all or part of the Bible in their own language. I mean, isn't that encouraging to hear? Little becomes much when you place it in the master's hands. And this is what Jesus wanted his disciples to understand about the way that his kingdom 
would function, the way it would grow and impact others. It would not be with our might, our power, or through political power or military might. It wouldn't come through our wisdom or wouldn't come through sword, not even by the voting booth or demonstrations. No, it comes through humble hearts, hearts that are completely surrendered to Jesus Christ, who put their entire hope in him and let him grow his kingdom through us. Which brings us to the next parable that Jesus told, the parable of the yeast. Look at verse 33. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now this was a common occurrence in every household. The woman responsible for baking would save a piece of unleavened dough from a risen batch just before it was baked and let it ferment for later use. When the next batch of dough uh, was mixed, she took the saved piece from the previous batch and put it in the new batch in order that its leaven or yeast could transform the new batch of dough and make it rise. Even though the yeast could not be seen. It totally transformed the moist flour into dough, making it ready for baking. Now, through this parable, Jesus essentially says, my kingdom comes not through political power or military might, but through one life influencing another. Let me unpack that a little bit. First of all, through this parable, Jesus teaches that the kingdom of God begins within you. Like yeast transforms the character of the dough, so new life in Jesus Christ changes your character, your attitudes, your values, and the direction of your life. When we by faith accept God's free gift of grace through Jesus Christ and make him Lord and King of our lives, the fruit of his spirit, the fruit of his mission and values begins to transform us from the inside out. Furthermore, not only does the kingdom begin in us, but it actually grows through us. When Christ is a living reality in your life, God will use your life to give spiritual life to someone else in the same way that a little bit of yeast from one batch of dough can be used to transform the nature of another batch of dough. You know, back in May of this year, I was saddened to hear of the passing of Rabbi Zacharias. Rabbi authored more than 30 books and presented the claims of Christ to millions of people in over 70 countries. And yet when he was 17, Ravi attempted to take his own life. While recovering in the hospital, a young pastor brought him a Bible under whose influence Ravi came to know Christ. The youth pastor who took the time to give 
hurting 17-year-old Ravi a Bible. That man was the late John Teeb, who served as pastor right here in Calgary for many years and who at the time was a director for Youth for Christ in Delhi, India. At the time, John had no idea that the little lump of yeast, that small mustard seed that he had planted would be used by God to not only transform Ravi's life, but through Ravi to transform the lives of millions. Little becomes much when we place it in the master's hand. Christian apologist, Dr. William Lane Craig, he tells of how as a student, he was asking big questions in life and finding no satisfying answers. He was a point of deep despair when one day while attending a lecture, he happened to sit behind a young woman who just radiated joy. In a brief conversation with her after the class, she informed him that she knew Jesus Christ, told him a little bit of what he meant to her, and that Jesus loved him also. Now, Craig says her joy and her brief testimony of her love for Jesus not only captivated my attention, but it lit a fire in me to know this Jesus that she spoke about. All she did was let Jesus shine through her and share what he meant to her. Little did she know that her story and simple faith in Jesus would ultimately be used of God to lead William to put his faith in Jesus Christ and who God would use to introduce hundreds of thousands of others to Jesus in turn. Little becomes much when we place it in the master's hands. One of our pastors here at Center Street tells how years ago he was attending university and a stranger struck up a conversation with him and asked him this question. If you were to die tonight, how certain are you that you would go to be with God in heaven? He said, you know, it was only a question, but that question haunted me for weeks and ultimately led me to commit my life to Jesus. A little mustard seed, a little lump of yeast becomes much when we place it in the master's hands. Friend, never underestimate the spiritual influence and impact that your life can have in the life of others. The question is, where is God calling you to be yeast or to plant a mustard seed? You know, one of the ways that he often gets our attention and kind of directs us to what he wants us to do is through the challenges and the wilderness experiences we have or that perhaps we're even going through or the things that we just can't stand because we know they break the heart of God and we just have this sense that someone's got to do something about it. God may be calling you to have, a, have compassion on a neighbor or perhaps a, a fellow student 
who is going through a similar wilderness experience that you went through or are going through and ultimately to point out to them the difference that Jesus has made in your life and helped you deal with this wilderness experience. Little becomes much when you place it in the master's hands. Perhaps as a child or a teen, you came from a broken home and there was this children's leader or perhaps it was a youth leader who took an interest in you and your group of friends during this very precarious time in your life. And he just kind of hung out with you. He taught you from the scriptures. He prayed for you and just kept pursuing you, kept being your friend, even in those seasons when you were really discouraged and kind of down on yourself. He didn't want to be around anyone much, even including him. But he didn't give up. He kept pursuing you. Now looking back, you just can't imagine where you would have ended up had he not been there for you. And there are moments that you just can't stand the thought of other children or other youth like you missing out on what you experienced during that very vulnerable time in your life. Could God be calling you to now invest in children or in youth the way that you were invested in? Little becomes much when we place it in the master's hands. Some of you can recall being in the wilderness of loneliness. You moved to a new city. You didn't know a soul. You remember the weeks and the months of going to church alone and and then going home alone. That is until someone approached you and invited you to come to their community group or perhaps their ministry group. And now looking back, you can't imagine where you'd be, especially during this pandemic, if you hadn't stepped out and said yes to that invitation and made the friends that you now have. And now you can't stand it when you see people alone could God be calling you to start a community group or to be part of one to which you can invite people into community in the same way that you were invited little becomes much when you place it in the master's hands all that to say whatever your weakness your insecurity or fears may be, never underestimate how God wants to use your life to influence and change the eternal trajectory of someone else's life. That's why we're here and not in heaven. I'll close with this. John Ogilvie, he tells of a man named Alex who came to him and shared how pressures at work and the added challenge of a rebellious son uh, were leaving him with feelings of fear and inadequacy. And he said, Pastor, I really fear messing up at work and my son, he's got me on the ropes. I don't know what to do next. For the first time in my life, I really feel totally inadequate. 
Well, Pastor Ogilvie, he thought for a moment, and then he quietly said, Alex, perhaps you are inadequate. A look of shock and disappointment came over Alex's face. What do you mean? He said, I, I came to see you to get a lift, to find some answers, not to have my worst fears confirmed. John put his hand on Alex's shoulder and he said, my friend, we both know that you are a talented and highly trained professional. And we both know how much you love your kids. But face it, in both areas, you are being pressed with challenges beyond your personal competence. You are inadequate by yourself. You need God's help. He's ready to give you wisdom and vision and power that only he can provide. But you have to receive it by admitting that you're inadequate and that you need him to do what you can't do. Friends, I'm wondering how many of you are feeling like Alex today. How many of you are looking at a, a certain situation in your life, a, a, a certain relationship or a certain assignment from God and feeling totally inadequate? You're feeling so weak, so incapable that you have so little to offer. Well, if you are, listen carefully. That sense of inadequacy you feel can either be the source uh, of great discouragement or be the beginning of a whole new adventure with God. It becomes a source of discouragement when you fail to include God in the picture and either say no what he's calling you to do or keep trying to do it all in your own strength. But you know, there's something more exciting. Uh, there's really nothing more exciting than to involve the Lord in our lives and observe him do things in and through our lives that we could never pull off in our own strength. When we take what little we have and we place it in the master's hands. You know, in Matthew 6, 9, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And one of the phrases he included in that prayer is this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is, is in heaven. Jesus longs for his kingdom to come in all of its fullness, for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. But he has chosen to accomplish this through you and me, through our prayers and also through our lives. And so when God comes to you and touches your heart and calls you to step out and to do something, to accomplish his will on earth, and you're thinking, you know, I, I just can't do this. I'm too weak. I'm, I'm too insignificant. I'm, I'm too inadequate to pull this off. Go to him in prayer and surrender. Surrender that fear and your life totally to him. And then step out in obedience, knowing that he is with you and that he will do in and through you what you could never do in your own strength. And as you do, as you become yeast or plant a little mustard seed, 
His kingdom will come and His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May it be so to the glory of God and for the sake of a world who needs the Jesus that we know and love. Would you just bow your heads for a moment? I'm just going to ask the question we've been asking around here for a number of years. What is God saying to you right now? And what are you going to do about it? Just take a moment right now to reflect on those two questions and ask the Lord to speak to you. If you would like prayer uh, or you'd like to pray with someone, if you'd like to make a decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ, there are, our prayer team is ready uh, to chat with you and to pray with you. All we do ask is that you would just let them know on the chat line and they'll be in touch with you and take it from there. Let's just take a moment now of quiet reflection. this time I'm going to invite you to respond to what you've heard God say and to affirm your commitment to him by joining our worship team in a closing song that not only declares that he is worthy of all of our praise and all of our full devotion but also to declare our commitment to live and to build our lives on him <laughs>